Hello to everybody who can't remember their CB lingo. It's Beautiful Anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one. I think it'll be more fun. And I'll get to know you and you'll get to know me. Hi everybody, Chris Gethard here. Welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. I hope you're doing well. I hope that you personally, the person who has pressed play on this, is enjoying life as best as possible in this confusing world during these crazy times. How's that first? Not many other shows can go that emo at the top and it's just getting warmed up, but we'll do it. Thanks to everybody who left comments in the Facebook group beautiful anonymous community in regards to last week's episode it happened for a reason i think that one was very tense for a lot of people i think it was a little bit divisive also saw a number of comments from other people saying i am also the parent of a child who is dealing with something rare and it was eye-opening eye-opening to see caller thank you again for opening up and I'm, i'm happy uh happy to hear that there's some people out there who felt like it spoke to their experience which is a hard one to get out there and a hard one to verbalize at times Okay, this week's episode, I tell you, this one, man, I remember we recorded this one a few months back and fits the bill on a, a thing that I really love, which is when someone someone calls up and says, hey, here's my job. And I go, your job is a thing I've always been fascinated by. Caller today is a truck driver. Caller talks about what it is like running routes, what it's like out there. Being on the open road, I've always, I'm such a big fan of, of road trips and driving. I always fantasize, what if I went and got a commercial license someday and I got to ask all my nerdy questions about the trucking life? Then also the caller did an amazing job of talking about the broad strokes to explain to us outsiders looking in, but then also talking about there's a lot of divisiveness, a lot of um, political machinery that goes into the trucking industry and was able to shine a light on that and how... In a lot of ways, the caller feels a bit like an outlier within the trucking world, but also can kind of see a lot of stuff from the ground level side. It very cool, very eye-opening. I liked it. I think you will too. I hope it gives you a laugh and some things to feel interested about and distracted by for one hour in your busy day. And yeah, that's about it. Thanks to everybody who's been out here supporting me, chrisgeth.com. We got all the tickets on sale for 20 cities, stand-up and live beautiful anonymous tapings coming up later this year. Thanks to everybody who's been checking them out. But who cares about that? Enjoy this episode as we hear about the trucking life. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hello. Hi. Hi, Chris. Oh my God, I, uh, I, I. It is an honor to talk to you. Likewise, it's an honor to talk to you. Yeah. Okay. Um, how how are you doing today? Oh well, as I always say, I'm always honest, and uh, yeah, yeah. It's been a long, tough week. It's it's been a long, tough week, long, tough couple weeks, but. Yeah. Um I will get I will get where I need to go. Yep. Nope, that's yeah, that's all you can do. How about you? Um yeah, I'll give you a super honest answer. So I'm an overroad truck driver and I'm like which I, I wanna be fairly specific about because I mean there's a lot of different kinds of truck drivers. Um I'm kind of right in the middle where like I'm not on the road for like weeks or months at a time, but I'm not home every night, so like I'm at the end of a, I'm, I'm headed home right now. Um, I'm on the end of a, a three day trip here. Um, and, uh, the last two days it was 80 degrees and I pull a flatbed. So I got to be out of the truck, throwing straps, things like that. And so honestly, I feel really dirty and I can't wait to get home and take a shower. So that's, that's where I'm at right now. But otherwise doing really, I'm, I'm doing really good. I'm glad to be headed home right now. I tell you what, I'm I'm thrilled to be talking to you, and and one of the great, I, I get very obsessive about like cultures that have their own ecosystem that you don't really know unless you're you're part of it, and I get the sense that, yes, I, that trucking is one of those in a huge way. Yes, and a- actually, I guess like I've okay, so 
Yeah, which uh, that's that's something. Yeah, I could I could definitely tell you all about because like I've I've been in a couple of different like areas of trucking for several years, and I grew up on a dairy farm. So like, if you want to know like all things like rural life, farming, truck driving, or I shouldn't say all things, but if, if yes, if you want to know about that, I guess that this is this is a good place to have that conversation. And is that, were there other things you plan on talking about before I got excited? Because I don't want to guilt you into just talking about what I wanted to talk about, but I got questions. No, no, I actually really thrive on being like asked questions and giving answers. So, so I, I mean, if you want me to tell my life story, I'll tell my life story. But no, if you have questions, actually, I, I would, I would very much like, I mean, yeah, anything you're curious about, you know, ask. All right. I will uh, ask away. Thank you for that. And I'm going to try to get to all of it. Dairy farming, trucking, your overall sure. life story. I love it. First question. So where in the Midwest are you from? Because I hear the accent. Yeah, I am from Minnesota. Um, and I, 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 I mean, obviously, I'll try very hard not to say my name or, you know, anyone else's name. But yes, I'm, I'm from Minnesota. Yeah. Okay. I love it. That would have been my guess. That or maybe the Fargo area. Yeah. So like, so, you know, so for my job, you know, when I talk about being, being kind of a, that medium level truck driver where I'm not, you know, across the country, I run around the Midwest a lot. So like for this three day trip, I went from Minnesota uh, down to Missouri, up into Wisconsin. See, and now I'm headed back to Minnesota um, where I actually have to get a different trailer and, uh, you know, so I'll go home, take a shower. And then um, in like right in my hometown, I have to go load um, a load of flour and take that over into Wisconsin to a really big bakery. I, like that's kind of what my schedule looks like for the week. Okay. Where to even begin? I'm, I'm first thing I'm going to say is yeah. What you are describing is the infrastructure of this country. And often I yes. think, Oh, it absolutely is. 100% is. And I very often think that a lot of people, live in a way, uh, and sometimes intentionally, sadly enough, where they, they go, well, it's preferable if that just remains hidden to us. This idea that there's actual people loading stuff onto trucks and moving, the, the, people unloading things from ships, people driving freight trains and working freight yards. I think there's a lot of people who, who say like, let's keep that out of sight and out of mind. And I'm someone, I just, first of all, want to say thank you because- you are you are part of a, a culture of people that I think is not thanked enough. And it's what allows the rest of us to be able to just go down to the supermarket and get strawberries at any time of year. It, it's like you said, it, yep. it's the reason we can get flour. And I, I, I think that very often um, it's ignored. And I don't like that. I want to just say that, and I wonder if you ever feel that. Yes. I, being in this world, that is, that is one thing I, I love about this job, is I absolutely get to see the nuts and bolts of how, how the world is built. And, and lucky for me, um, I get to see a lot of, you know, uh, I, I get to see so many, you know, uh, different kinds of things. You know, like, you know, that load of flour is one thing, or... Um, I spent a lot of years um, hauling road salt, and so we'll we'll take you know like road salt off of a barge. Well, a lot of that road salt comes from different places. Comes from salt mines down south or over in Michigan. Some of it comes up from South America. So uh, last year, two years ago, you know we were watching salt come off the barge onto the pile before they loaded it into our trucks, and it, it was it was blue. And I asked one of the guys, I said, "Do you know anything about where this came from?" He said, "Yeah, this stuff actually came up from South America, where so it got my." taken out of a mine, put on a ship, you know, up the ocean, through the Panama Canal, up to a port, probably in Texas or Louisiana, you know, and then sent on a river up by us. And just thinking of all of the connections, you know, that it takes to pull that off. I don't have much to say about it other than, you know, I, I don't know. I love it. And it, I see the world, you know, as just so more, I, I guess, interconnected probably than most people who just uh, live in their own little bubble, which, I mean, that's okay. I mean, I don't, I don't blame people for, uh, you, you can't understand what you don't see. And I just, I have the privilege of being able to see all that. I'm with you. And I think it's a shame that there's maybe an attitude 
probably once you hit the upper middle class, and I don't want to paint everybody with the same brush, but I think maybe in general. So you hit that level and people go, like you said, you are privileged enough to see it, see that process, see those people. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. And I think it's a shame that some people go, I, I would rather not see that. I would rather just buy the salt, throw it in my driveway, and that's my relationship with the salt. Yep. How cool yeah. is it, what you're describing, that somewhere in Chile, in a mine, they pulled this stuff up, and now you're yep. a piece of a puzzle where someone in Wisconsin uses this in their driveway, or some town in their municipality loads it up into their plow and it's the plow that drives down your block. I think that's so cool, man. I think that's so cool. Well, here, actually, let me, here, here's my favorite example of that. So uh, whatever we got, we got a lot of different things to talk about. Okay. So I grew up on a dairy farm. My parents don't have the cows anymore. Um, but you know, my, my dad still runs, you know, the 500 acres that are on the farm. He transitioned our farm from conventional to organic and, cool. um, which has been, it's, it's been really neat, really interesting. Um, he's had to completely revamp his whole, you know, the, the whole business. And so like, um, last year he had a bunch of, um, extra wheat, you know, that organic wheat that he had to figure out how to market. My dad is exceptional at like establishing connections, getting to know people. And I mean, he, he's somebody who, I, he, he's not afraid, like, like what he did to like market the wheat, um, he started out local where he went to kind of the, the nearest big city and he just started going through the phone book looking for large bakeries and, and, you know, calling and asking if they needed to buy bulk wheat. Um, and so he found somebody there and then he sold just, just a, a super sack of wheat, which is 2,000 pounds, took it up on a truck. We got to talking to that guy and, you know, and that guy told him about somebody else he knew down by madison wisconsin well and so then he sold a whole truckload to that guy so he took it down there well then that guy gave him a connection uh down in illinois and this past winter we took a whole semi-load so it was like 27 25 super sacks of uh wheat down to this small family-owned mill in illinois that was really cool for me to see because it's wheat that my dad grew you know i went with him down there to deliver it and we delivered the wheat to this space and it's a, it's a small family run mill and we could see everything in there. I mean, you know, from, you know, where they, where they have the raw wheat, you know, their own mill run by electric motors where they, you know, they actually grind it into flour and then where they bag it and they had all these pallets of 50 pound bags. And then they had all these boxes of like one and five pound bags. And uh, so where that is, is not, not all that far away from Chicago. So we were talking to that guy and that guy, you know, that's all he does is market his, you know, he spends all day long trying to market his wheat, getting it into grocery stores in Chicago. So if you live in the greater metropolitan, you know, greater Chicago metropolitan area, I, you know, I won't, I won't give the name of the mill away because honestly, I, I, I don't remember what it is, honestly. Um, but yeah, so I mean, if, you know, if you are into buying small batch organic wheat, um, around the suburbs of Chicago, there is a good chance that you are getting flour from wheat that was grown on our farm in Minnesota. So cool. Now, I sound smarter than I am on this show. It's because I read- Oh God, I do too. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I love it. But I tend to read a lot. So I tend to pick up small amounts of information about a broad range of topics. This is how I survive on the show often. I've read- and my details are hazy on this. I yeah. have read that in recent years, and it sounds like in in even the past handful of years, that truckers are getting kind of squeezed in certain ways in the sense that there used to be a lot more drivers owned their own vehicles, and now big companies are starting to own their own fleets, but they can... They can they can squeeze some money out of these jobs, and being being a trucker is harder. And I've heard that it was it was one of those beautiful jobs that you can be like a true working class person and provide your family with a rock solid financial foundation, and that they're making that tougher now. Is that true? Yes, yes, yes. What you were saying is very much is true. Um, so. Okay, um, you, I want to go back to you know what you said about knowing a little bit about a broad range of things. So 
I, I very much in the same way. And I actually really don't listen to like terrestrial radio anymore. When I drive, I listen to podcasts and audiobooks. That's all I do all day, every I talk on the phone to people and I listen to podcasts and audiobooks. So I feel the same way where I have a little bit of knowledge about a lot of different things. And I, yeah, there's a really great podcast about trucking that came out last year. I, uh, the name of it escapes me. Um, it was just a, a short, like eight or 10 episode series made by an overroad truck driver. And he actually, uh, like interviewed another guy who is, who's a writer and truck driver himself, where they talked about the history of truck driving. So I guess just from my own experiences, I have learned that in general, the trucking industry is very cutthroat. It is very difficult to get into. It is very difficult to make money. And the generic, you know, the, the general reason is exactly what you were saying. Um, big companies push down prices. Now, what I learned from this podcast has to do with how the trucking industry was deregulated in the 1980s. Um, you know, which, you know, a lot of the unions were broken up and, and truck driving, you know, went from being, you know, a really, I don't know, you know, high paying, you know, professional thing to basically going to um, the lowest bidder. I have a lot of the information, or I've, I should say I have a lot of the information. I've learned everything that I've learned because, so I work for a small company. There are only uh, four of us drivers at my company and I, uh, I drive for my boss is one of my best friends from high school. Um, nice. So it's him. It's him, me, and two other guys. And because of that, like because he's one of my best friends from high school, I guess our working relationship like has never like interfered with our friendship. We, we you know we we work really really well together, and I think things things are really great. And so he you know he fills me in on you know kind of the the behind the scenes you know business details of what it you know takes to, um, you know, to, to run a trucking company. Um, you know, so I, I know like all, you know, most of the loads that I haul, I know what they pay, you know, and kind of what it, you know, what it takes to get them and all of that. And yes, um, like I said, you know, the, the general state of the industry is that, you know, you have several very large companies, um, that, you know, that, you know, try to underbid one another. And so then when you have owner operators like my boss who are small because we are not a large fleet who can cut costs, you know, in the ways that large fleets can, you, that's who we're competing against. And yeah, ma making money is, is, uh, is, is terribly difficult. Um, trucks are, you know, they're very high maintenance. They're very expensive. Um, insurance is really expensive. Fuel is really expensive. And we have this saying in our company where you treat every load like it is your last load. Um, cause you just, you know, I, things change from week to week, you know, like the, the last week of the month is usually the best week because brokers and big companies, you know, are trying to, trying to, you know, get inventory moving forward to the end of the month. And now like this is kind of the first week of the month, pickings are actually, you know, pretty slim right now. Hence how you have time to call me today. Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. It's wild. So, and I, just to elaborate, I mean, you know, I guess there, there's a lot, of in, a lot of reasons and a lot of ins and outs to why these big companies operate the way they do. You know, you look at a, a lot of truck drivers, you know, are our immigrants, you know, that's kind of a, a changing tide, you know, we're a larger percent every year, you know, the truck driving force is immigrant. And I think big companies are really predatory towards immigrants because, you know, truck driving is for a lot of them, it's, it's a fairly easy job to get because there are a lot of jobs available. Every trucking company is hiring, you know, there are not enough drivers, you know, so these immigrants, you know, for a lot of the, you know, these immigrants that come in, um, a trucking job is the only one they can get and, and big trucking companies take advantage, you know, and underpay them, you know, so they, you know, they overwork, underpay their drivers, you know, they cut prices, cut their rates to, you know, try and get more business. And like I said, that really, yeah, that, that really hurts the rest of us. It's tough. It's, um, it's, it's, it's funny. You and I are recording this Amazon 
the the Amazon plant in Alabama has voted regarding unionization, but the vote count hasn't come in yet. That's the yes, yep, the, the customer plant, yep. And and I got to say, describing what you say, I go, this is exactly why I'm a big believer in unions because they busted up the trucking unions, and what happens yep. is then the 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 a corporation that you know its whole goal is to generate money wants to generate more money and what's that happen they take it out of your pocket people like your pocket and then yeah they're filling jobs like you said with people who are easily exploitable who are probably scared at times to um stand up for you know, stand up for themselves because they fought so hard to get what they have and it's yep, why i sit yep. here and i root for a union cuz it's just my personal opinion that the money should come out of a corporation's pocket. It shouldn't come out of a truck driver's pocket. So I just want that on record. That's right. Some other people who might disagree with that, feel free to disagree. I just think put the money in the pocket of the person driving the flower across the country. Don't put the money in the pocket of the person who uh, sits in a tower, sits at the top floor of a tower all day. Now that's just me. You know, and so I'm I'm a bit of an odd duck in the trucking world because, you know, and, and both you know, farming world and trucking world, it is a, you know, uh, an, uh, an unquestionably, you know, right-wing place. So I, um, after I graduated high school, I went to um, a four-year liberal arts private college because uh, I, I wanted to be an English teacher. Well, look at that. I don't know that anybody saw that coming. Angling to be an English teacher. going to hear about that down the line and hear about a lot more. We'll be right back. Thank you to our advertisers. Now let's keep catching up with our trucker friend. You know, farming world and trucking world, it is a an unquestionably, you know, right-wing place. After I graduated high school, I went to um, a four-year liberal arts private college because uh, I, I wanted to be an English teacher. And um, after getting through four years of college, I decided I didn't want to be a teacher. And at, at the time, my parents were going through um, a very difficult time on the farm for some, uh, uh, I don't know how much I want to say about this. Um an intra-family dispute over the estate of the farm is is um, is what was happening, and so so I decided I didn't want to be a teacher. I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I thought, well, things are kind of difficult on the farm. I'm going to move back home and I will farm. But anyway, I, I tell you all that just just to um, say that you know, where, where's a lot of the the trucking and you know and, and just the rural world in general is very conservative. I'm one of the very few. Um, liberals, I guess, in the trucking world. And so when I look at, at the state of the industry, you know, there's a lot of racism and xenophobia, uh, just hatred of immigrant truck drivers, you know, among white, white, you know, among the white truck driving community. And I look at them and it's just, it's just so clear to me that these people are not, not the enemy. These are not the people, you know, that deserve any kind of ill will. I mean, they, you know, they come here to, to work hard to, you know, try and make a life and, they're exploited by these big companies. It is it's predatory business practices by big companies that are screwing up the industry, in my opinion. Not the people sitting in the driver's seats. And in many industries, it's it's uh, it's to the benefit of the powers that be that groups like this are pitted mm-hmm. against one another. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, very much so. And I'll also say this: for all the idea that the press is liberal biased and. I, I, you know, there's way, I mean, certainly there's whole wings of the press now that are so polarized, but I, I tell you, I was really shocked during Black Lives Matter, there was the longshoremen of the West Coast, which is a stri- really strong union. When I read up on it, if I remember the story right, they spent a day or two and just shut every port down, just no ships being unloaded. And they did this to take a stand on some social issues. And I felt like that was really underreported. And you sit here and you go, man, uh, at the end of the day, there there clearly are things that will get certain levels of coverage. And then a thing like that of, hey, 
a, a working class union just shut down an entire coast's worth of ports doesn't get talked about too much and you got to wonder why. And, and it, it, again, I think uh, there's a lot of entities that have a, a big interest in not, not highlighting that a united working class has a, has a hell of a lot of power. I agree. I, you know, I think that was underreported and kind of the sad thing is there's very few places in the country where that can happen, you know, because the, the rest of the industry is fairly fragmented. We're getting my company and all of these other independent owner operators to work together is, is damn near impossible because we aren't represented, you know, by anything collective. Then when you have large groups of drivers that are represented collectively, it's not by a union, it's by a corporation like Swift or Schneider National. And I mean, those drivers, I mean, they, they're numbers to those companies. There's not, there ain't a damn thing they can do. So yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. And now, Okay, because we could rant about the philosophical, the logistical, the political, and we've done that. But I want to talk about something that I have always found truly fascinating, that you will have some answers to some yes. questions I've long had, I believe. Sure. So yes. I'm a little bit obsessed with driving. Um, I have, okay. I have written about this. I, I've talked about this on the show that I've driven cross country five times three times by myself. One of these was a trip where I didn't plan any of it. And in fact, only accepted rides from strangers along the way. Um, oh yeah. It was a weird art experiment from my, my weird art life now. Yep. Yep. But you learn so much. You learn so much out here when you're going to small towns, when you're passing through places that are just kind of living that places that don't really have a tourist industry and you stop there to eat use the bathroom. You learn a lot. You learn a lot. Now, in the course of driving as much as I have, I've become very, very fascinated with truck stops. Truck oh, stops, yes. they have their own internal culture that is, from what I can tell from my surface level, having stopped at a lot of them, this is a culture and an ecosystem that it, it, most of us have no idea of the inner machinations. True or false? Yes. Okay, talk to me about a few things. Okay, I, yes. I, I want to be upfront. I, I'm not a good, I am not an expert on, on trucks. I'll answer what I can, but I, I don't do a lot of large truck stops. I, I don't know. I, yeah, oh God, this is going to sound so weird. One, one of kind of like my own personal, I don't know, like things is like, I get nervous about like going new places, which, you know, or I don't know, kind of, I, I like sticking to, you know, kind of one path. The places that I go in my truck, I generally go to often. Um, and I generally, I, I generally avoid really big truck stops, um, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I, um, I don't, I no, don't wait, know. What are the I'm reasons here, you're you know, avoiding? This is very revealing, though, because you're going, I avoid those places. So there's a why behind that. Yes. Okay. Okay. Here, I'll actually give you a fairly specific answer. Okay. So one of, one of the biggest logistical challenges that, that most truck drivers face is parking. And those big truck stops are generally difficult. Like, like they fill up really early in the day. So I avoid them. So the way that that like my company trucks is a little bit different than how most companies truck. So are you, are you familiar with um, electronic logging devices? Have you heard anything about, you know, do you know anything about that? Tell me, are these, are these devices that kind of track supplies and locations of trucks? Uh, a little bit. So, okay. All, okay. So an ELD, e, okay. So an ELD is an electronic logging device. And a couple of years ago, you know, the, the government passed an ELD mandate, meaning that all trucks newer than the year 2000 have to have one. And these ELDs enforce hours of service regulations. Okay. Hours mm. of service regulations are as follows. We are allowed to work a 14 hour day total within that 14 hours, we are allowed to drive no more than 11 hours and we must have 10 hours off between shifts, um, which means, you know, in a 14 hour day, you can drive 11 hours and you can have three hours of on duty, not driving. 
And so an ELD like taps in, you know, is, is hooked into the computer of the truck and it, you know, it, it logs that. So you can't, there's no way around it. And the way that truckers used to log everything is just with paper logs. And you can obviously lie in a paper log. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to check it. You know, and, and if you get audited after the fact, it doesn't matter. You know, like you can't prove anything. Um, there are some some ways around the ELD mandate, which is if your truck is older than 2000, or rather not if your truck is older than 2000, the engine has to be older than 2000. Um, the, all four of our trucks have old motors in them. So I, I don't run a proper ELD. I, I do this um, on my phone and that allows me to cheat a little bit. And so I, I end up running a lot of late nights. And not, not that I like, I'm not running like, like ridiculous, crazy hours or anything. It just, I just, I got to push the edges, you know, kind of where it suits me um, because I like to get like to my, you know, I, I like to get to my destination and generally try not to stop at a truck stop, you know, before I get there, because the truck stops are always full and it, it's hard to find parking spots at them. So, yeah, so that, so that one reason is parking and the other, the other reason has to do with fuel prices. So there is a chain of convenience stores uh, in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Iowa, um, and they're really, really great convenience stores and they generally have um, the cheapest fuel. So like, let's say I'm going to run to, you know, Louisville, Kentucky, for example, I'll load in Minnesota, fill up at this convenience store. I can generally go all the way to Louisville and make it back, um, you know, before I have to put fuel in. And I, I can, by doing that, I can get fuel that's like 25 or 30 cents per gallon cheaper. So number one, I don't need to get fuel at the big truck stops. And number two, when I run to Louisville or St. Louis, wherever, wherever it is in the Midwest I'm going, the places that I go, I can sleep at. So if I get all the way there, I can sleep there and I don't have to mess around. Cause I've done that before where like, you know, or I go somewhere new and it's like, you roll into one truck stop. Nope. Pack full. Go to the one across the interstate. Nope. Pack full. You know, and, and then, you know, you just, you just end up driving around if I could get to those places by three, four in the afternoon, eh, I could probably find a spot, but a lot of, a lot of places, I, they just, they just pull really fast. And that's why I try to avoid them. Now at one of the uh, convenience stores where you get that deal, I guess, how much does it cost to fill the tank even with the deal? Oh, here, let me, okay. I got my last receipt, uh, with me. Um, this morning I got fuel, uh, and it costs five hundred dollars and eighty nine cents. <laughs> and that was in, in like in, in my three day trip, you know, which on this trip at this point I have one thousand three hundred and six miles. I stopped and got the cheapest fuel I I saw in that thirteen hundred miles. <laughs> and it was over five hundred dollars. That's. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's wild. Now, okay, a couple things I'll say about truck stops, and then we'll move on because you've said not really my thing couple things I've encountered over the years that I love. They have showers. You can shower at a truck stop. I think that's awesome. I've become kind of obsessed with the fact that yeah. you can shower at airports and on moving trains and at truck stops. What does that say about me and my OCD? I don't know. But you can pull in there, sleep in your well, car, ex- shower, eat at a diner. Okay, you were going to say. Let, let, me, let me pause you for a second. I, I have showered you know, many times at, at truck stops. I was really, really nervous about it. You know, the, the, the first time I did it, but my boss talked me through, he said, it's, it's not bad. Okay. So if you, if you go to like a Flying J alums pilot, you know, any of the big chains, showering there is not bad at all. Everything is all tiled out and all of those places clean the shower after every, I mean, they go in, spray it down, squeegee it down. It is not, it is really not bad at all. So I, I, I don't mind showering at a truck stop if it's what I need to do. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, like I would have done that yesterday, except I knew I was going to make it home today. And so I figured I'll just save myself the $12 then. Now, another question you might have insight into. I once on one of my solo cross-country drives back when, you know, now everything's like digital and Bluetooth. Back when my car had a CD player. Yeah. I bought a an audiobook CD at a truck stop and it was so insane it was about a soldier who has fought in every war and then he dies and then he is rebirthed and fight. So there's like the World War I uh, edition, there's the, the Civil War. And I realized this was a series of like 80 books or something. And I realized 
there's a whole world of trucker specific content out there. This is stuff that I think is only sold at truck stops for truckers. Mm -hmm. I found that very interesting. That is very interesting. See, and, you know, again, like, you know, with me listening to my audiobooks and podcasts, I'm such an odd duck because, you know, so I'm, I'm obsessed with history. I, I listen to like history audiobooks all day. And, and then my, you know, my podcast, you know, keep me up on, on current news. And anytime I try to talk to other truck drivers about what I'm listening to, I mean, I, I get deer in the headlights. Nobody, no, nobody has any, you know, or, or like beautiful, beautiful anonymous. There is not another not truck used, driver, you know, I will be truckers. able to tell, tell this to that. No, no, yeah, I would okay. say not. Fair, fair. Um, I, I also say that trip was in 2009, and I wouldn't be surprised if that culture, if that was a thing at all, um, if it's died out just because of the modern world. Now, most recent thing, I recently drove from Florida to New Jersey. Okay. We stopped once with a two-year-old. I was proud that we only stopped one. We actually only crashed for a handful of hours then kept driving with the two-year-old. I felt pretty badass. I'm not trying to compare myself to you in any way. Driving my Kia Nero, my hybrid. It's not. I'm not claiming I'm driving a, a flatbed with 2,000 pounds of flour on it, but I was pretty proud of it. Yep. Stopped at one of those big chains. I forget if it was a Loves or a Pilot or something. I saw in a glass case... <laughs> that they were selling a $140 full-sized replica of the helmet of Ant-Man from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I just sat there and, and wondered, Dear Lord. Who, is, who is buying this as an impulse buy at a truck stop? Do you know? I, I walk in, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. No, because I walk in and wonder the same thing. Who, what, you know, what, what is this? Yeah. No, I, I wonder the same thing. Yes. I, I notice the same things and yeah, I get a kick out of it too. You go, oh, there's a giant, there's a giant uh, four foot tall statue of snake eyes from G.I. Joe and this truck stuff. What is happening here? Okay. Anyway, so much else. Desk. Oh, do you use a CB? I have a CB in my truck. If my boss and I are going to run somewhere together, we will get on our, cause there's, so there's, what is, what does it go up to 39? It goes up to, I don't know. Let me look here quick. Uh, so regular, like, like, you know, channel for truckers is, you know, 19. Are you in the truck right now? Yeah. I'm, oh yeah. Yeah. I'm in my truck right now. Are you driving? So I, I was driving. I was when you called me, but I have since pulled into a rest area to park. See, if I would have kept going, when I get to the state line, the call drops. So I knew, you know, if I was talking to you, I have to stop. Otherwise, the call will drop the state line. So, yep, I'm, I'm parked in a rest area right now. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yes. So CB radio. So there's 40 channels on a CB radio. Channel 19 is like the, the universal. That's the trucker's channel. I run with my CB off most of the time, unless I get into traffic. Um, then, I'll, then I'll turn it on. Or if there's like a really bad backup, I'll turn it on. Um, because guys will talk to each other then and, you know, they'll kind of, you know, let each other know what's going on. If my boss and I are going to run somewhere together, we'll turn to our own channel. I mean, we'll just pick one randomly, 22 or 16, whatever the case may be. And then we'll talk back and forth the whole time we drive just, just because that's what we do. You know, we that's enjoy cool. that. Do you but, know, I, I, first of all, again, I think it's cool. Are you familiar? I have heard that there is some phrase that is like a CB radio joke that people hear all over the country. I forget exactly what it is, but there's like some CB thing that people hear all the time. I forget what it is. Do you know about this? I don't. I really don't. I'm sorry. It doesn't sound like you're on the CB all that often. No. Okay. No. Good to know. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, one, I'm going to have to look this up at some place. Right. I loved, I've loved that story when I found it, but who cares? You know, and, uh, CB, like CB culture is kind of a, a you know, relic of like the, the, the good old days where if, if I do leave the CB on from time to time, you'll have older guys that get on and talk back and forth a little bit or kind of give each other help in traffic. But like I said, it, it, that's, 
it, it used that really used to be the thing, but it's it's just kind of faded away. It it, uh-huh. it, it really has. Right. We, we got cell phones now. Yeah. You yep. You can call your loved ones. You call. You can call and have a conversation with your loved ones instead of yeah finding communication. Oh, it's. I just googled it. Apparently, all over the country on CB radios, there's a running joke where people will just randomly say the phrase, "I ain't got no panties on." This is a thing you will just randomly hear pop up on CP radio all the time. Anyway, anyway, are there any non-dude truck drivers? There are. They are few and far between, but there are. There are a few I follow on TikTok a little bit. Um, kind of interesting. See him a little bit at truck stops. Oh, let me think here. God, where am I most likely to run into a non-male truck driver? Yeah, like I said, they they are out there. They are they are few and far between though. And I, my hats off to them because it is a male-dominated industry. Let's pause there. It's an honest answer and a tip of the hat from a thoughtful caller. I don't know about you, but I'm sitting here going, I love this guy. I love this call. Anyway, we'll have more of it when we get back. Thank you to all the advertisers who allow this show to exist. Now let's finish off the phone call. It is a male-dominated industry. Do you ever pick up hitchhikers? No, no. I only rarely see hitchhikers. Um, Never picked one up, though. Yeah, that's you don't mess around with that, right? No, no. Yeah, okay. It's so rare that you see them anyway, so. Now, let's get into your life story. You grew up on a dairy farm. Very specific lifestyle. Yes. Very much proudly of the working class. You now drive trucks. Yes. Not the same thing, obviously, but again, similar culturally in that aspect. Yes, it translates. Like as far as like proud working class, these are two two professions that you you would generally, I think, in most people's mind, you would say, "Yep, okay." Now, in the middle of this, you went to a liberal arts college and studied to become a teacher. This feels like a life you were going to leave behind, and you yeah found your way back to it. Not the same thing, not the same thing, but you were headed in a much different direction. It sounded like yeah, you know when I. I I grew up in in a a really wonderful home, solidly middle class. You know, we we weren't rich by any stretch, but you know, my parents made sure we had everything we needed. I was never like an amazing like straight A student, but I have a a, a tremendous curiosity, you know, about the world. I you know I I love to learn. So like, well, I didn't have you know straight A's or anything. I always loved school. You know, I loved asking questions. You know, I didn't like homework or tests, but the material content. You know, I'm I've always in school was engaged in conversation, and so I from the time I was really young, I you know I had you know I would go home do chores. You know, I started driving. You know, I drove tractors from the time I was about eight or nine years old. I, it wasn't like you know eight or nine years old like full fledged. I mean, you know, I had to to grow and learn and do bigger and bigger things as time went on. But you know, I I started driving tractor. I was like I said like eight or nine years old. You know, so I would help my dad do field work, feed calves, milk cows, do all that. Then I had school and they were two different things. And I, I loved them both yeah, virtually equally. You know, I, I like the farm, you know, and I, I always liked school. Um, and right up through the end of high school, and I, I decided because I, I really like school, you know, I really wanted to be a teacher. And I, I didn't have like a strong desire to like break out of the farm. I mean, not, you know, neither one of my parents went to four year school, but like I said, so it wasn't a, a sense of like needing to break out. It was just yeah, what I wanted to do with my life. And my, my parents always very much supported whatever I wanted to do. In fact, I, I think they, they always very much preferred that all of us kids, I have a younger brother and a younger sister, um, all three of us, they always preferred that, that we leave the farm because they saw their own life as very hard, as not very profitable. Farming is like truck driving. It's terribly cutthroat. Um, it's very hard to make money farming. Um, and they wanted us to, to go get regular jobs where they didn't have to work holidays, weekends, you know, and we could actually afford a vacation, you know, every once in a while. That's, you know, one thing we didn't do as kids is we didn't 
you know, we went on two vacations when I was a kid. We went to Florida once and we went to Germany once, which is a whole nother long story because we have family friends there. But um, yeah, other than that, I mean, vacation for us was not was not a, a yearly thing. And they, you know, when I, I, you know, I will never forget standing in my dorm room, like the last day of my junior year, calling and telling my mom, hey, uh, I'm not going to be a teacher. And you've got to be kidding me. What are you going to do? And I'm like, well, I'm going to start by coming home and helping you guys. And okay, well, whatever you want to do, I guess, you know, they said. And yeah, so, so that's how that went. Um, when I graduated college, so I, I went to a Catholic university and I took a creative writing class my senior year with a, uh, with one of the, the very last nuns that still taught at the college. And she was just a tremendous saint of a woman. Um, and that was going to be her last semester teaching. And I remember, you know, many times after class having conversations, you know, with her and both of us basically saying, we need to figure out what we're going to do when we grow up. Cause I, like I said, I didn't, I didn't want to go back and career farm. I just wanted to go back and help my parents because it was very clear at that time that they really needed it. Um, so it was just going to be temporary for me. And, you know, even though she was going to be retired from teaching, she knew that, you know, she needed to find something else to do. Um, what she ended up doing was, was teaching uh, ESL classes to um, Somali immigrants. So that, that became her second group. But, you know, before she actually started doing that, um, both, like I said, so me and this 80-year-old nun, you know, had a lot of conversations where, you know, we stood looking at each other going, you know, we need to figure out what we're going to do when we grow up. So, yeah. And then I, I don't know, I just kind of fell into this. You've had a fascinating life. Yeah. You know, and I don't know, you know, a lot, a lot of, you know, I, I get asked all the time, do I regret going to college? Because, you know, I have this four-year degree in English where, I, I should be specific. Like the track that I was on was going to be a, a, de- a double degree in English and secondary education. So right out of four years of school, I would be certified secondary teacher. And what I ended up doing was dropping the secondary part. I kept the English major and did a proper English capstone and then just picked up a philosophy minor. Um, you know, and I get asked all the time, you know, you went to college, like, doesn't that feel like a big waste now that you just drive truck? And, on, you know, and the answer is no, not even a little bit. I would go back and do everything exactly again, because college gave me the, the tools to, to learn, to become a, you know, a, I don't know, I'm sorry to use such a corny phrase, but, you know, to become a global citizen, you know, to care about the world, to learn about the world. Um, and, you know, and I, I don't know, I felt like I've continued to do that ever since leaving college. I love it. I like any, any call I get on this show that reminds me that people are layered. It's uh, such a joy for me. Such a joy for me, right? A lot of us pass a truck your size on the road and we go, that's a certain type of person and they have a certain type of background. It's like, no, not at all. You have no idea about the person in that cab. You have no idea. And they have no idea about you. Yep. It's cool. Yeah, I want to ask you something about your childhood. Oh, go for it. It's yeah, funny yeah. because what? Oh, uh, because you know, I could tell you all about like my really specific academic interests, the history books I do. But when it comes to truck driving, there's a lot of truck drivers that, that don't know much about the trucks they drive. And because I work for a small company where we do all of our own truck work, overhauling engines, swapping engines, transmissions, drive lines, tires, you know, we do everything. I am not like in any sense of the word a mechanic, but I actually know pretty much everything there is to know about the truck I drive front to back. All all of the specific quirks of this truck and you know and why they exist and you know and so I like I, there's a lot of truck drivers that are like that and tons of them that know more than me. You know, I'm I don't I guess stand out too much in that regard, but it 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 you know, I don't know. That that's the thing about it is my I, I take my interest kind of to their logical end, I guess, in every every aspect. That's the thing you and me have in common. You just like get. Let's get into the weeds. Let's get into the minutia of this. Let's really. Oh yeah, I love the I weeds. Like Absolutely. Yeah, the weeds. That's where the knowledge lies. Let's get in the weeds. Um, I want to ask you something about your childhood that you brought yeah. up. Yeah. Because I, I was astounded. I read recently an article where where it, it basically was saying, look. Um, this is research. So I'm not. I'm not being hyperbolic here. America likes to take a lot of pride in the fact that child labor has been outlawed for so long, and the and the author is basically saying, like, I really want to um, 
like get it on record in a in a public way. Child labor has never been outlawed in farming. And that children in farming families are allowed to operate heavy machinery from a very young age. And kids get hurt pretty often. And we all kind of look the other way. And this author was basically saying, like, I get this is like a family business. This is also kind of the definition of child labor, like a a child driving a wheat thresher is is maybe something we all need to to take a look at. Is was that do you find that that's hyperbolic or is that true? I think it is and I, I say this knowing that it's a little bit shameful, but there is some truth to it. I I know several examples. Um there was in my neighborhood, there was a child who was killed. At the time, he would have been 12 or 13. I, I was only one or two, so I've only heard the stories. You know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't really there. But um, in my own neighborhood, um, there have been, you know, I can think of a, a, a small handful of accidents, one of them involving a child or um, uh, just a couple of years ago. So um, what my, my very first truck driving job, so because I've had, I've had several different truck drive, well, I've had three different truck driving jobs. And my, my second job, the one that I, I liked the most is I, I hauled off of dairy farms. Um, and I, I heard of an example of uh, on a farm I used to pick up, a, a small child was, was run over by, by a piece of equipment. Um, so yes, at, like uh, accidents are more common on farms than is really conscionable. So there, there, is, there is some truth to it, yeah. I don't, I don't know what to make of that because, okay, out out of three accidents that, that I can, I can think of, you know, I can think of three accidents and two of them were not because like the child was like out there, you know, being forced to work and they were killed like on the job. Two of them were, oh God. Okay. I I don't want like, I I don't want to say this like, lightheartedly or like it's just okay like no like this it's really terrible and like absolutely something to consider like how it should be prevented um but two of them you know were children that were they weren't working they were they were with their parents and like they you know they fell off of um an open station tractor and and, and got run over um and yeah so i i've heard of examples of that happening that now I don't want to say doesn't happen anymore or you know won't ever happen again. Open station tractors, so a tractor that doesn't have a cab on it. Open station tractors are much more rare now. They used to be perfectly commonplace, um, where now you have to special order them, and that that's the biggest way to prevent that. If you're going to take a you know a small child with you, you 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 cannot take small children on open station tractors where they they sat up on the fender. I, I grew up riding on open station tractors. I mean it's it's a goddamn miracle you know nothing ever happened to me. Um, so, which, which actually I, I, I had three broken arms as a kid. So, um, it's not a miracle. Nothing ever happened. It's a miracle. I didn't die, but none of, none of them were ever falling off tractors. You know, getting rid of open station tractors is the biggest thing that farmers can do, especially if they're going to have small, small kids with them. Um, I don't, that, that's, that's, I guess the only specific example I can think of right now, you know, otherwise, um, like I said, it, in in my opinion, this this could be wrong. I'm I'm I only have my experience to work from and seeing what I do on farm. Yeah, uh, open station tractors. There there are other dangerous things on farms, and and that comes down to parents, people working on farms, just need to keep kids away from those dangerous moving parts. It's a hard thing to regulate because all farms are you know independent you know there there are no there is no regulating authority that can watch you know every farmer do every task and make sure it's done safely a lot of it comes down to you know how safe you you keep your equipment um many uh when i was in sixth grade um one of my neighbors was killed um because a piece of uh, loose clothing got caught in a pto of which a pete so a pto stands for power takeoff it's this knob on the back of a tractor that spins and what you do is is whatever implement you're pulling will have a shaft on it and you hook the the shaft you know the pto shaft onto the pto of the tractor and that is what powers whatever it is that you're pulling because whatever you're pulling needs to have moving parts well that's how you get the power the tractor to, to power that piece of equipment and he was just working around something that was stationary well you know and he had the pto running wide open he got too close to it and uh loose article you know 
whatever the bottom of his shirt or whatever it was got caught in it and wrapped around. And this thing spins at approximately thousand RPM. So I mean, it's not, you know, I yeah, it's, it's yeah. Once it catches, I mean, that's it. And and he got he got sucked in and it killed him. So the biggest thing like that is all PTO shafts have covers over them, and those covers, you know, generally keep anything from getting caught. But sometimes the covers uh, break it. Uh, for whatever you know reason they you know they fly apart they get old they crack and sometimes it's easier to just whip it off we got to go we got hay to make just put it back on and, and that you know a lot of your accidents like that are just carelessness and yeah safety features that are disabled that that is that's a, that's a big problem on farms people need to think about and take measures against but i have i have to imagine too that if you want farms in america that aren't you know, factory farming and you want independent farms and you want them to effectively be small businesses and you want to support that. I, there's probably an argument to be made that's like, Hey, yeah, that, but that is on all hands on deck proposition. And the, and the longstanding cultural history of this is family farms mean families get it, get down there and uh, all get their hands dirty together. And that's part of it. And you're also, training your kids to know how everything works for when it's their turn to take over. And yeah, culturally it's such a, such an, just such a specific thing. So I see, I do see both sides of it, but then I hear stories like the ones you just told and I'm going, Oh my God. Oh my God. And that's just part of it. Those are just stories you hear if you are in that world. Yeah. It it is it it's a tough thing to talk about and it's a tough thing to know what to do about because I mean it, it, those accidents are very few and very far between but the weight assigned to them should be so heavy because they are so catastrophic I mean anybody anybody being killed you know by a piece of farm machinery I mean that is that's an unspeakable tragedy I don't know the way that I've always thought about I mean all farmers are are careful and do things to not get themselves or their loved ones killed 99% of the time. It's just that one moment of carelessness is all it takes for someone to be seriously injured or killed. And, you know, how do you, so exactly, you know, how to go about that, preventing that one instance, it, it's, it's very difficult. And I mean, it largely, I mean, it largely comes down to, you know, personal responsibility and making sure that your equipment is safe to operate. Now we've got less than two minutes left. This one flew by. So I want to end on something me? happier than the... no. Oh, whole, yeah, uh -huh. than farm accidents. Well, okay, yes, no, and and I guess <laughs> I just have this to say. You know, is sorry. To I, laugh. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. God, I, I loved growing up on a farm. I well, I can tell. I can tell in how thoughtful you were and how how much effort you put into saying like I want to phrase this in a way that's respectful, so everyone listening can tell. There's a lot yeah. of love there. Yes. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it, whatever. I, I don't want to sound like the crotchety, you know, all kids these days don't know how to work and every kid needs to work on a Because I, I'm an optimistic person about, I don't know, about, you know, the future of our society. I really am. But um, I loved growing up on a farm, working on a farm. I think a lot of people, you know, would, I don't know, benefit from, you know, just seeing how that part of the world works. Um but anyway, okay. So yeah, with our one or two minutes left, yes. Uh, any other questions? Our 38 seconds. I okay. just want to know, you've lived a few different lifestyles, more than most people see. What do you, uh, if you had to sum it up in a sentence or two, how do you feel about the world? Ooh. Mm. Well, like I just said a moment ago, I am, I'm cautiously optimistic about the world. Um, I don't know. Uh, God, it it's hard to be general because I don't know. I mean, do, 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 do. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm I'm glad we're done with Trump. I hate that man. That's one thing. I don't know. There's a lot of people in the. How do I say this quickly? I just I see and talk to so many smart people every day, everywhere I go, in the trucking world. My friends that I went to college with that are becoming doctors and lawyers. I just, I talk to so many good-hearted, smart people all the time, and it's the people that I deal with that give me hope about the future. It's not what I read in the newspapers or listen to my podcast that makes or breaks for me because there's good things and bad things, you know, that I get from there, but the 
people that I, listening to your podcast, the people that you talk to, listen, talking to the people that I run into face-to-face on a day-to-day basis, make the world a good place for me. That's, that's my opinion of the world. The world is the people that make it up. And I personally have had really good luck with pretty much everyone I've ever met. A few bad apples here and there, but I don't know. Uh, people are good. That's my opinion of the world. What a good note to end on. Thank you for the call. Chris, take it easy. Caller, thanks again. Everything I threw at you, you had a thoughtful answer. It's cool. Make my job easy. You really do thrive on questions. You're good at answering. Thank you so much. And thank you to our producer, Anita Flores. Thank you to our engineer, Jared O'Connell, as well as Marcus Hom, who's become part of the engineering team recently, to Shell Shag for the music. If you want to know about me? ChrisGeth.com. Check it out. Get back out on the road soon. If you uh, listen to the show, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, SiriusXM, wherever, there's a subscribe button, follow, favorite, whatever it is, hit it. Helps us a lot. Thank you so much. And if you want to have our whole back catalog without any ads in it, stitcherpremium.com slash stories. Go check it out for details. 